I am a father myself. Thank you. God. Thank you. Thank you. God, God, has, a, God has a sense of humor. So, um, my youngest, when um, she was about maybe four or five, um, she was a little tomboyish in the sense she attached herself to my hip and everywhere I went, she wanted to go. Everything I did, she wanted to do. Uh, if the boys were racing, she wanted to race with them. If they were jumping, she wanted to jump with them. Uh, she ran faster than the boys as well, so it's embarrassing. But a couple of times that she ran, she looked behind to see who she was beating and boom, hit a bush one day. So I had to sit her down and tell her that you could be beating the boys, but you don't have to tell them about it. So she began to have this, this, this energy, and one of the things that I used to do with her was I would always take her swimming and, you know, in a big public pool out of Long Island, it's huge, and there's a shelf like this, and it's three foot of water, and I would put her on the edge, and I would stand there, and I would tell her to jump. And she would jump into my arms and giggle and laugh. She says, I want to do it again, and I'll move a little bit further, and she would jump into my arms. And then I told her, okay, okay, this is the big challenge. You have to just sit right here, and I'm going to move as far as I can, I want you to jump. Before I stepped to the place, she jumped. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't expect it. But what had happened in her mind was, I can trust my dad. I can trust that he's going to catch me. I have faith that he's not going to let me down. Now, I had to simultaneously learn how to be a father as I was learning to be a son. I'll say that again. I ran this parallel line in which I was learning to be a father as I was learning to be a son to my heavenly father. I did not understand this relationship. I understood this relationship and it was different. It wasn't as loving as I would like it to be. Now, I'm not here to criticize my father and I don't want you to do that either. I just want you to know that they have flaws because the Bible clearly states that we're all sinners. And unless we learn how to act and behave according to what God has set forth for us, we're going to draw from what we know, what we have. Like screaming and yelling in my house was the norm, <laughs> right? You know, you know, you stepped out of line, you better believe it, you're catching a beating, right? Like that's the Puerto Rican home. I'm sorry. Don't use your inner voice. We're not pacifying anything here. So those are the things that happened in my home, and I had to learn a new way with my children because first and foremost, I know what it did to me. It caused me to rebel. It caused me to challenge and be disobedient. And all those things kind of manifested themselves in my life growing up to the point where now I attach that to God. Everybody following? So it's important that we disassociate that connection, that our heavenly father and our earthly father are not the same. We have to make that connection. And it's important for us to you know, understand that because what happens a lot of times, you come in, you hear a song like this, good, good father, and you're saying, my dad wasn't good. And again, I'm not here pointing a finger at my dad. I'm not. 
God placed this man in my life to provide and care for me, but he also allowed me to experience this so that I don't make the connection of my earthly father with my heavenly father. Amen? There is a story in the Bible, and of course, the Bible is full of stories. And this particular story, we've all heard it before, and I want you to listen to it with fresh ears because we're going to go in a different place and a different perspective when we talk about it today. Amen? So I'm going to read this story again. Just remain seated. Pay close attention. You've heard this story before. It's not something that's unfamiliar, but I do want to use it in a different way today, so bear with me. Amen? In Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24. I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and it says this. And then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When he had spent all there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. I bring the fatted calf here and kill him. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. That is the reading of God's word. I'm a word guy, so a lot of words stick out to me. The first one in the opening sentence there, in verse 11, is it says, then he said. That indicates that there was something said before that. Again, this particular story is what we refer to as a parable in the Bible. And, and a parable is a uh, earthly story with heavenly implications. So when you read a parable, you have to find yourself in it, and you have to find God in it, and you have to find the big idea around it. So it's important that we understand that because it says, then he said, and he goes on to tell this story about a lost son. But before that, there's a parable about the lost sheep, where he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Amen? We're talking about the heart of a father. Amen? Okay, so it's important that the Father in heaven leaves the 99. Now, that's crazy for me. That's irrational that you will leave 99 and go after some dumb, crazy sheep that decided to leave the comforts of your surroundings, your shepherdness. Listen to me. I'm talking to you. Because there's a moment you're going to see in this story in which this son doesn't want anything to do with his father. 
I didn't want anything to do with God. Neither did you. You wanted to go on and, and, and sow your wild oaks. You wanted to get away from daddy. Out from under his control and his purview. And it's important for us to see because then there's another parable in which it talks about the lost coin. And it talks about how this lady loses this coin and she goes crazy tearing up the house. She had plenty of coins. But that one coin for some reason she went and tried to you know, find the tore of the house, found that coin and then it's crazy it says because after she finds that coin she throws a party. She got no money for no party. But again, it's a parable. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You have to find yourself, God, and the big idea in it. What's the big idea in this? It's important for us to understand because now he shifts into this lost son. And why is he lost? He's lost because he decides that he wants to do his own thing. Come on now. I think it was at 13 or 14 that I decided I was smarter than my parents. <laughs> smarter than my parents. I knew everything in the world. They tried to talk to me about drugs. I said, ah, you don't know nothing. Right? Like I invented drugs. You know, ah, you don't know nothing. You know? I don't want you to be with those people. Ah, you don't know nothing about relationships. Like, like I suddenly knew more than them. I'm not alone in this, am I? It reaches an age in which we think, you know, hey, we know this. And listen, if you have parents of young children, it's coming. It's coming. You got teenagers, they push the buttons every single day. Every time you draw a line in the sand, they try to erase it. And we have to be mindful. We'll talk about that as we're going through this. So, so again, it's important that you understand what's going on here because what he's literally saying to his father when he asks for his inheritance, he's literally telling the father, I wish you were dead. That's what it means here. Literally, it literally means because you don't get your inheritance until what? Until someone's dead, right? You bequeath it in their will, right? So, so it's important for us to understand that what's going on here, he's rejecting his father. He doesn't want anything to do with his father, but he wants what his father has. Stay with me now, spiritual caps. You want what the father has, but you don't want the father, do you? Come on. Right? You want what the father provides you, but then you don't want to listen to the father. See, in my home, I'm the father. And we listen to the father. Right? Now, I'm a little more compassionate than my wife is. My wife will put you out. True story. True story. Uh, my son must have been about eight years old. I think he sassed his mother one day. When I mean by sass, he, he said something inappropriately. I don't know exactly what it was, but um, we lived out in Long Island, dead end street, house on the right. I come from work, I pull around the bend, and my son's got his backpack and he's on the corner. I said, that's a sight for me, right? My son on the corner. I said, oh, I, I, I see him. He's a little sad. I come pull into the driveway. I said, honey, you know my son is out there? He says, yeah. He said something to me that was inappropriate, and I told him, pack his stuff and leave. <laughs> I said, you realize he's eight years old? Well, he should have thought about that before he opened his mouth. So I go over there, and I say, okay, now I got I to deal with this. Um, he says, you go deal with it, which is normally what they tell me. You go deal with it. 
So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, I'm saying, God, okay, what do I tell this kid? How do I deal with the situation? Um, I say, hey, man, how you doing? He says, I'm good. I say, where are you going? He said, I don't know. Mom told me to get out. <laughs> I said, so your best thinking told you pack your stuff and sit on the corner. This is what he told me. He says, I knew you were coming home. I knew you were going to take care of it, Dad. I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm going to take care of it. So, so I had this conversation with him, and towards the very end, of course, he goes home, hugs his mother, asks for forgiveness, the whole thing. But somehow, he knew that dad was going to take care of him. Now, it wasn't fun. He got grounded, got punished, take away his video stuff. You know, he went through this whole process of having to deal with his consequence of what he did. The point is, just like my daughter had faith in jumping into my arms, my son also had faith that his father was going to take care of it. Now, this is not me boasting about me. This is me boasting about the father's love for you. The heart of the father is that he will take care of you. That you can jump into his arms, that you can trust him, that he is faithful. And I don't want to tell this story from, this, from the perspective of the son. I want to tell it from the perspective of the father. How a father must feel when his son tells him, I want nothing to do with you. When our Heavenly Father extends an olive branch, sends his son to die on the cross for us, and says, you don't have to live this way anymore. Let me wipe your sins away. Let's go and enter into a relationship, and we want nothing to do with him. How a father must feel, how he must ache in his heart and realize. That's why it says that our heavenly father is long-suffering. He waits. <laughs> he waited 29 years for me. 29 years of me running my own life, at least I thought so. Crashing the car as often as I did. Still dealing with the wreckage of my past. I've been forgiven, but still dealing with the relational part of it. God does something here really special for us, for us to see. His father sitting on the back porch every single day, waiting, hoping, praying. There is a assurance here that we get. Again, we're finding God, we're finding ourselves, and we're finding the message, the big idea here. It's important for us to understand that the heart of the Father is revealed to us in this parable as it is in the others. This is significant because what he's doing here is he's demonstrating himself to us. The Father here is our Heavenly Father. We all identify with the prodigal. We all can say that we're the prodigal. We all can say that there was a point in our lives where we didn't want anything to do with God, and we strayed, and we went off, and we knew what we wanted to do, and we suffered the consequences. Amen? But this is what I know about the love of the Father, how forgiving he is, how he wants to be able to love you through our mess. This, this, is, this is irrational. When we see the father get up and, and run towards the son culturally, that was not acceptable. The fathers didn't run to anything. On the contrary, the fathers, you, knew you came to the father. Right? It was a prestigious place. It was you know, a place. This statistic came to me as I was doing uh, my work. 
of families will follow a father that is actively involved in their faith and walking with God. 93%. 60% will stop coming to church. 60% of families and children will stop coming to church when the father is not actively involved in the church. That's a stalking system. And it's scary. Because what you heard Zach say, and I had the opportunity and privilege of working uh, in a school for seven years at Rikers. There's a school, there's an adolescent school, there's a high school at Rikers Island. And I had the privilege, the opportunity, I, I thought I was being slick, I was gonna go there for a year. But God kept me there for seven years. And, and, and I worked with the male population, adolescents, kids, who were there for hardened crimes, but you had to watch them watching cartoons. You had to watch them, you know, playing with each other like kids. Now, mind you, these kids are, you know, they're there because of the crimes they committed, but they were children. We put on a play one day, and this kid strummed his fingers across the piano like he was like a virtuoso. And I said, where did you learn to play? He said, the church. I said, what happened? How come you stopped going to church? He said, because my father was one way in the church and one way in the house. That is important for us to realize that as fathers, listen to me, it is a privilege. It is an opportunity for us to tap into our Heavenly Father. Again, I had to learn how to be a father. I'm still learning. My kids are grown, and I have to know how to allow them to be adults. My wife tells me, you got to cut the umbilical cord. You're getting too nice with them. I'm teaching them grace. I, the grace that God has given me, I'm showing them, but at the same time, I'm also guiding them in how God wants me to guide them. Right? Now that's important for us because grace is something, right? I always tell my kids, I don't care where you go, what you do, you call me. You call me. Whatever time it is. Now I ain't going to be happy, but I'll come get you and we'll deal with it in the morning, right? Like that's, they need to know that, like I, I didn't have that. I got put out at 15 and I left and I struggled, slept on the subway, rooftops, like you know, abandoned cars, friends' couches, like I went through all that stuff only to realize years later, my father said, ah, we had a fight, you left, I thought you were coming back. I said, really? <laughs> that's what you thought? <laughs> So, so it's important to understand the father's heart here. He's sitting there, and he's been praying by his son. He's been doing his business, but he understands something, that when his, his son looked at him and says, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I want my money. Give me my money so I can go do what I want to do. Give me the things that you have for me, but I don't want no part of you. You see, because there are things that God is going to ask of us. If you say that we're his children, then we have to obey we have to honor our father. Just like the Bible tells us that we should honor our mother and father. Right? I have one surviving parent. It's my mom. She's 81 years old. Called her yesterday playing bingo. She says, can't wait for you to come so we can go to the casino. I said, Ma, I want to thank you for holding down the fort for so many years. She said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, you buried a bunch of us already. 
and you're still around, so you're like mother and father to a bunch of us. She said, stop that nonsense. You have your father. And I said, what are you talking about? She says, you have God in your life now. You have God in your life now. She says, he gave you earthly father. He's gone, but you got, you got a father. Now, that's in the midst of her saying, we're going to the casino and bingo. <laughs> but, but from the mouth of babes, right? Like, like we just take it from wherever it comes. Just a reminder, listen to me. Each and every one of you has a father. You are not fatherless. You are not orphans. I heard what Zach said, and I'm so moved by it because it's a reality. Our, right now, this predatory adolescent group is running amok because fathers abandoned their post. When I grew up, guys, we had Little League. Fathers were coaching. Fathers were involved. If you were in the corner, the old guys would kick you off and tell you, yo, get out of here. Like they would tell you. Now some of us are afraid to confront some of these adolescents. It's like, yo, what you doing? What you want, man? It's like, okay. <laughs> right? Like, 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 like we're like, I work high school. I'm constantly being threatened. I love it. I get off at 3.15. I see you then. <laughs> For a simple thing like, hey, did you do your homework? You know? F you, man. I ain't doing no homework. Right? But I know. I know what's going on. When I look at their records, their home life is hurting. There are things that they don't have. Like a sit-down dinner is something that a lot of kids don't have. Like a lot of young people. When was the last time they sat down for dinner at a table? That's a big deal in my house. My, my wife makes sure of that. Like even to this day, I'll be running around, she says, what time? We're gonna wait for you. I said, don't wait for me, no. So now there's pressure on me to get there by a certain time, right? <laughs> if not, I, I get rebuked. I'm saying this, guys, because it's so important that we leave this place today knowing that we have a father. We do have, we all have a father. We're not orphans. And if you're a father in this room, you have to learn from the father how to be a father. God is in the business of restoring relationships. Maybe you are distant from your children right now. Maybe you've been absent. Whatever it is, listen to me. If you allow yourself, you heard the statistic, if you allow yourself to walk with God, God will take care of those things in your life. He will restore those relationships. He will allow you to be back in their lives in a way that allows you to come in, not so much as pounding your fence, a tyrant, and saying, I'm your father, welcome me with open arms. No, you have to enter in that relationship, understanding that you were not there, but that you're here now. And God is doing a work in you, and they have to see that, that my father is able to change so that he can restore those relationships. Because at the end of the day, listen to me, we all have a father. And the heart of the Father is revealed to us here as we realize what's going on. This whole idea, it shouldn't be a prodigal son. It shouldn't be, you know, the story of the prodigal son. It should be the story of the prodigal father. Why? Because the word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. And when you see this picture of this father seeing his son afar off, who he thought was dead, who he thought was lost, and he pulls up his thing, and he starts to run after his father. He, I don't know if this guy had a heart condition. He didn't care. He didn't care who was looking. He broke the cultural norms and said, absolutely not. My son, I haven't seen them. I've been waiting, and here he is. I'm not going to wait for him to come to me. And he runs to him, and his son has his whole script rehearsed. He's going to tell him what he's done. And he's like, shh, 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 you were dead. 
and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. I'm going to party. I'm going to turn it up. I'm going to kill the fatty calf. I'm going to dress you up. I can imagine him running and kissing his son all over him. You know, I, I still do that to my, my, my son. He's, he's 33 years old, but we still hug, we still kiss, you know, and it's something that, that is so dear to me because in a late age, I still did the same thing with my pops. You know, like I loved on him, you know, because I know that he wasn't loved on. Well, you didn't hear that, did you? Like I knew he had a hard life. So I would purposely hug him around his neck and kiss him. And with my kids, I do the same thing. I, I, I kiss them, you know, I kiss here, I kiss there, I kiss, kiss there to the point, you know, I even, uh, even George, I said, I need you to give mom a kiss, a special kiss, right? I, I, and, and now George goes and kisses his mother all over the place to the point she's like, stop, stop, stop. It's too much, it's overwhelming, right? But listen to me, it's special for us to understand that this father broke all the social norms and cultural norms and said, no, my son his home. And that's how he feels about a sinner who comes to the Lord. The Bible says that when someone comes to the Lord, there's a celebration in heaven. There's a new birth that happens. There's a new opportunity that we get to live out this life, understanding that there's a father who provides for us, a father who cares for us, a father who is for us. It's important for us to embrace that reality. I want to talk about when the son came to his senses. I like to refer to that moment as an aha moment. Anybody know what an aha moment is? Okay, an aha moment where you're like, uh-huh, I got it, <laughs> right? Like, like for years, somebody's been telling you something. Somebody's been telling you something for years and you're still running, you know, you're still running with it, you're still running, and then you get that moment where you hear it and it sounds like you hear it for the first time, but the aha moment is not something that someone is telling you or teaching you, it's something that you're getting reminded of. It's already in you. This young man already knew that in his father's house, there was better than anywhere else. And his father's love was better than any other love he was experiencing. That he didn't have to live this way. He didn't have to continue to act this way. That all he had to do was come back home. Utter those words of repentance. Come to a place where say, man, I messed up. I messed up real bad. He had that aha moment. It wasn't something that somebody's teaching him now. The situation just quickened him and reminded him of something he already knew. I am better off with my father than with swine. I am better off with my father's house than out there. I am better off around a community who loves me and is like-minded, being led by the Spirit, walking in obedience, I am better in this community than I am in a community that doesn't really appreciate me. Around the group of people that don't really care about me. Now you've seen the story. They cared about him when he had what? Money. When he had things. Uh, in Spanish, uh, there's a, a, a jefran. We call it a saying. And, and it says, uh, un amigo en un peso en el bolsillo. All right? Now, I didn't speak in tongues, so I'll explain it to you, because I have the gift of interpretation, okay? <laughs> it, simply, it simply means that, again, you have friends as long as you got money in your pocket, right? That's all it is. When you got no money and you can't buy the drinks, you can't buy this and you can't buy that, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'll see you later, right? And you're left alone. 
That's what happened to him. And his realization, that aha moment was, wait a minute. Even the servants in my father's house, they're living good. They get three square meals. They had a roof over their head. Every now and then it's a celebration. Yeah, I'm going back. Watch this, because he tried to come back on his terms. That's what you see here. He rehearsed his lines. He says, man, if I say this, my father's going to have to take me in. But in other portions of scripture, it says that the father didn't even let him talk. He said, no, 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 no. Don't want to hear it. You were dead, and now you're alive. In your sermon map, there are, if you flip it over, there are some blanks that I want to fill out, and I want to touch on it as we see the story unfold here. It's a pen, mascara, lipstick. You can use anything to write with. Okay. The first one is fathers lead courageously. What does that mean, lead courageously? The father in this particular scene had to give his son what he wanted, right? And oftentimes leading courageously requires us to have those tough conversations. Like I am the no man. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. I am the no man, meaning no is my favorite word. Can I go here? No. Nope. Can I go there? No. Nope. Can I do this? No. Nope. Like, even as my kids come to me and they would ask me, Dad, I want to ask you something. I want to let you know that I'm going to say no before you even start. So go ahead, tell me what you want. Right? Like, like that's not me denying them stuff. That's me leading courageously in the sense that that's everything that our children want doesn't mean we give it to them. You're not listening. Everything you're asking God for, he's not going to give it to you. Why? Because you're not ready. You have shown yourself to be a prodigal. You're reckless. You're reckless. So it's important for us to understand that because you're praying, God, do this, God, give me this, God, give me that. And he's saying, God is looking, the Father's looking. He says, when is he going to ask me for more of me? When is he going to ask for more of me in his life, in her life? So leading courageously means that there are things in my life, in my house, there's a plaque that says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Sunday mornings, where are we going? That's it. Dad, we're going to the beach today? Nope. Nope. We're going to church. He says, well, you know, my son got to a certain age where he was like, I don't want to go to your church. I said, you better find a church. That's it. Find a church and make sure you bring me the bulletin back. All right? And your notes. Why? Because I've committed myself to leading courageously in the sense, I know that you don't like this, but you're going to thank me for it later. Because the Bible says that we should train up a child the way that he should go, and what happens? He's not going to depart. Watch this. It's the reason you're here. It's the reason, because grandma took you to church. Your neighbor took you to church. Somebody touched you throughout your life that exposed you to church that you knew when you got your, you know, in trouble, where to go. You didn't forget. Because that's the way the word of God is. Right? It's, it's ruminating to you. Next one. 
Fathers pray fervently. Oh my God. I, I cannot tell you how much I pray for my children. I pray for their schooling, their friends. I've prayed for their spouses. I've prayed for their careers. I've prayed for their ministry. I've prayed for their relationship with God. I, 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 I pray that they will be well and they'll be kind. Like, I'm, I just go through this whole list. Why? Because my Heavenly Father, who is everywhere at all times, is responsible for my children. So in prayer, I say, God, wherever they're going, whatever they're doing, please be with them. Now, I didn't make up that prayer. That was Job's prayer for his kids, right? Like they would go off and have these big parties, these lavish parties, and Job would pray. He said, Father, whatever they're doing, just take care of them. And because I can't be there at all times, you saw the little video, right? The shotgun guy, that's me. That's the shotgun guy, that's me, right? So we pray fervently. What does that mean? We're not asking God for things. We're reminding God of his promises to us. He's going to take care of our children. He's going to take care of our family. See, if I work here, God will take care of here. Amen? Next thing is fathers model with consistency. Ooh. Listen to me. Posers and fakers, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can't show up to, to church on Sunday, make the assumption that, oh, man, I'm in church. So everybody knows I'm in church. Like I told you earlier about that young man who played the piano, he had and he saw inconsistency. He saw that his father in church praised the Lord, and then at home he cussed everybody. So that inconsistency drives a wedge between your children and their heavenly father because you're the one that's modeling that for them. And if that's your God, they want no part of your God. When I find myself in a situation, my children always ask me, what we're going to do? I say, we're going to talk to God. I'm going to talk to God first, and I'll come back, and I'll let you know what's going on. That's it. Why? Because I want them to know that when they find themselves being squeezed with life, we don't run here, we don't hear, we don't scroll through our phones, we don't reach out to anybody, we don't call AAA, we call God. And we say, God, I don't know what I'm going to do here, but I need you to help me. So I'm modeling consistently what I expect from them. It's important for us to understand that. That you being consistent is significant in the lives of your children. Now, my Heavenly Father hasn't failed. And he's never going to fail. So he's not going to fail me. So I find myself constantly talking to him and say, okay, if you did it for Moses, do it for me. If you do it for Joshua, you do it for me. He says, Moses ain't special. You got to do it for him, you do it for me. That's my conversation with God. I have those conversations with God. When, 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 when God tells me to choose, I said, I choose you. I need you to help me with this situation. So I'm modeling consistently what it looks like when it comes to my finances. My kids the same way. I said, no, this is God's. He says, what do you mean? This belongs to God. The house belongs to God. The car belongs to God. So if you're going to drive it, you make sure you drive it right and put some gas in it. Because God is good, but you need to put some gas in the car. Like, like just simple things. So consistently, I'm consistently doing these things. And it, listen to me, please listen to me. This is not me boasting in myself. I could not stand here because on my own. It's because God has allowed me the privilege of submitting and surrendering to him so I can see this abundant life. We talk about abundant life, but you're living reckless. 
And you can't want this abundant life and live reckless. So are there things that I've had to give up? There are things that I have to stop doing. There are things that I refuse to do. Why? Because now I'm responsible for others. I'm responsible for my children, but I'm also responsible to the people in this room. You're my family. You're my children. And that's how we feel. When I came into the church, and I mentioned this yesterday briefly, when I came to the church, I was taught this. I was taught that the older women are like my mother. That the, they, they, my age are like my sisters. And the younger ones are like my daughters. And I embrace that totally. Listen to me, men. I believe that wholeheartedly. So I want you to walk into this space understanding that every woman in this room has a son, a father, and a brother that's going to look out for them. I'm going to say that again, guys. This is not a place to look for a date. It's not. It's not. This is a place where you come to get with God. That's what you come to do. And that we respect and treat each other with dignity and understand boundaries. This is why we say men with the men, women with the women. If something happens, then praise God. You come to me, we get some counseling, we work it out. But at the end of the day, we have to be mindful. And I'm saying this wholeheartedly because I believe that, I've embraced that. So being consistent is a big deal. And I'm the same the minute I walked into this place. People didn't like me. People looked at me funny. People still don't like me. People still look at me funny. I don't know what's going on with them. I just know that at the end of the day, I have to be the same. Amen? Amen. Fathers love passionately. 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 You know one of the things I've done that is torture to me? is roller coasters. Like really, I despise roller coasters. I hope that when I go to a roller coaster that they shut it down for repairs so we don't have to get on it. Um, I've gotten a couple of times and it's torture. I say that because I realize what great joy it brings to my children and I want to experience that. And I have. And I no longer want to but I encourage them to go <laughs> and enjoy it. And I'll wait for you right here. <laughs> Passionately, my son is a huge Marvel comic guy. And I love the conversations. And every time we have a conversation, I say, you know, there's a God image here, you don't you? Come on, Dad, everything's about Jesus. I say, I say yeah, Superman is about Jesus, isn't it? Batman is about Jesus. There's always this one person that sticks out above everybody else, protecting and defending everybody else from the bad guys. That's the Bible. Isn't it? So what I mean passionately is I connect with them on their level. I'm still trying to figure out this, this shuffle thing. Like, like I don't, I still, I'm, I have two left feet, right? So I'm asking my daughter to sh show me this. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I hurt myself every time I do it. That's all I'm saying. So I'm trying to understand them at their level so I can understand what they're doing, but I don't want to go to their level and stay there. I want to elevate themselves so I get them to, I want to encourage them to understand that this is how we view the world. So when I love passionately, they know how I feel about things. They know how I feel about God. 
They know how I feel about serving. They know how I feel about loving on people. They know how I feel about the men that I minister to. They know this. Because our passion, when directed the right way, elevates us. It elevates us. And then finally, just like the father sitting on the porch waiting for his son, fathers wait patiently. 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 I can't tell you how long my mother and my father, my father's no longer with me, but my mother waited for me to get my act together. Like for 29 years, you know, I, I you know, you torture people, <laughs> right? And uh, as a father, I've come to this place where I understand that the formation and the sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit is not my work. It's his work. So me waiting patiently is one, allowing them to connect with God and develop a relationship with God as I model my relationship with God and wait patiently. You ever get somebody to tell you when you're going to get it? Yes. Anybody ever tell you that? When you're going to get it? When you're going to get your act together? Yes. Right? That's because it's not on their time. It's not on their time. It's that moment where you know what you know and you have that aha moment and you come to your senses where you get it. If your parents in here, understand it's not when you say they get it, it's when they get it. All you can do is be consistent, pray fervently, love passionately. Like these are the things that you keep doing those things and wait patiently and you will see what God can do in the lives of your children and what God is doing in your life. Be patient. If you're going to torture yourself, torture yourself with a feather, right? Don't, don't, don't beat yourself up because we know that we're our worst enemies, right? Like we, you don't need, listen to me, I don't need to be criticized by you. I'm, I'm my own critic, like, like I do. And, and I want you guys to be mindful that in the midst of what's going on, there is a father who loves you. There's a father who cares for you. There's a father who is recklessly extravagant, who's gone above and beyond, has left heaven, come down to earth, allow himself to be incarnated, born into flesh, allow himself to be beaten. The last time I was here, I showed a video, and there was a lot of comments about that. How dare you show that video, Pastor Gus? This is a church. <laughs> I said, well... I think people forgot what Jesus did for them. I think Jesus, Jesus didn't only die at the cross. Like he died slowly with every single whip, every single smack, every single beating. Slowly but surely. People are like, well, how can you show that? You know, hey, they wrote down things. <laughs> Some people didn't see the connection between the video. And I'm like, well... I think that we get up here, Rob, we've had this conversation, where people, you talk about something and it's like they're in here right now and they're sinning like crazy. Like they're sinning, they're fornicating, lying, cheating, and they come in here and they're comfortable because you're making them comfortable. You keep telling them how much God loves them. Don't worry about it, I love you. Keep doing what you're doing, thumbs up. That's not true. That's not true. 
God deals with us in grace. He's long-suffering, but he doesn't put a stamp of approval on what we're doing. But guess what? As a pastor, by the way, I know. Okay? I know. But it's not up to me, so what I got to do? I got to wait patiently. And I got to pray, Father, man, that boy is messing up bad, Lord. You got to help him, Lord. You got to quicken his mind. You got to, Holy Spirit, you got to do something with him. Like, really? Wait patiently. But I know. And the Father knows. Father always knows. Remember there was a show on TV called Father Knows Best? Anyone remember it? All right, I just aged myself. There's only a few guys that said yes in here. <laughs> I'm not talking about you watching the reruns now. I'm talking about the actual show when it first came out, right? It was like this slick looking guy with his hair really cleaned up and stuff like that, right? And he always knew best, right? Again, guys, it's important that these things that I just gave you are something that you embrace and embody. Right, this whole idea of leading courageously, praying fervently, modeling consistency, loving passionately, and waiting patiently are an essential thing for us as fathers, but also understand that that's how God has been with you. That's how he's been with us. The fact that he did what he did and is still doing what he's doing on your behalf is a father's heart, is his love for you. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. And oftentimes, you think that he's taking the fun out of your life. Oh, give me this, give me that. He says, listen, I know where this is going to take you. I know where you're going to go, and I don't want that for you. And when God says, no, listen to me, it normally means wait. It just means wait. That you would wait on him and allow him to do the work in you. Because if you wait and allow him to do the work in you, that which you so desire and so want it, you won't want anymore. Because when you delight in the Lord, the Bible says, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now watch this again. When you delight, please don't chop up the scriptures. Don't go around saying, God's going to give you the desires of your heart. You missed the first part. You delight in him. He will give you the desires. Why? Because your desires will change. Right? They'll no longer be about you. They'll be about the greater thing, the greater picture. Why? Somebody asked me the other day, you know, uh, I think my purpose is to share the gospel. No, you, that's not your purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to God with how we live based on the truth we know. Oh, I said, so you're an evangelist? He, he stopped for a moment. He says, no, I'm not. That's not your purpose. You sharing the gospel is a direct result of you glorifying God and walking in obedience to his word. You get the opportunity, you're going to share the gospel because people want to know what happened to you. That transpired in your life. I knew you as a filthy, dirty addict, a thief, a liar, and now you're not doing these things no more. What happened? The Father's love for me met me in my pain, met me in my hardship, and cleaned me up. Wiped away my shame. Wiped away my guilt. It's important for us to understand that. It's really significant for us to realize that at the end of the day, how do we grow in this process? How do we allow God to do what he needs to do in our lives?